Hello and welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the 84th episode of Dotmill Docs, the Military Health System's official podcast. I'm Elizabeth Lockwood. It's Thursday, November 5th, 2009, and today's episode kicks off November's Medical Technology Month. As part of this important monthly theme, we've set up a special page at health.mil slash medtech. That's M-E-D-T-E-C-H. The page features information about some of the exciting developments in medical technology happening right here in the DOD. Today we have Dinah Cohen on the show. Ms. Cohen is the program director at the Computer Electronic Accommodations Program, also known as CAP. Ms. Cohen is here to explain what the program is and how it provides assistive technology and services to people with disabilities, federal managers, supervisors, IT professionals, and wounded service members. Ms. Cohen, welcome to Dotmill Docs. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's our pleasure. Uh, to get us started, can you tell us a little about what the Computer Electronic Accommodations Program is? Of course. It'll be my pleasure. Um, CAP is, stands for, the, as you said, the Computer Electronic Accommodations Program. Most people know us as CAP. We are the centrally funded program in the Department of Defense to buy and pay for assistive technology for our employees with disabilities. This allows us to get the accommodation to the employee directly without it being an issue of cost for that line manager. Okay. Um, and what year was CAP established? We were established in 1990 as a centrally funded program to try to level the playing field for the employment of people with disabilities. What made it exciting is that we were so good at what we were doing that we were asked at that time, and legislation got passed during President Clinton's administration, to serve as a federal government centrally funded program. So now we provide the accommodations not only for DOD employees with disabilities, but we also provide those accommodations for 65 federal agencies agencies outside of the Department of Defense, which includes like the Veterans Administration, uh, Veterans Affairs. We also provide it for Department of Commerce, Interior, State Department. So we actually have 65 federal agencies that tap into CAP outside of the Department of Defense. Well, that's a huge range that you guys have. Um, What types of technologies can you offer? Well, since our inception, we have filled over 81,000 requests for accommodations, and they tend to fall in a couple different areas. We tend to provide the accommodations, again, that allows a person with a disability to use and access the computer system and the telecom system. So we provide different technologies for people who have a vision disability so they can get all the information off their computer, people with hearing impairments, people with dexterity disabilities, and people with cognitive and communication disabilities. All those different disabling conditions can benefit from the use of assistive technology so they can do the day-in, day-out operations in today's electronic and information environment. Okay, so it sounds like there's a lot of different technologies available to anyone who may need them, and each is sort of tailored to an individual's need. Correct. One of the things that CAP is most proud of is that we tend to really work directly with that employee with a disability. We do our the needs assessment to make sure that we're providing them with the right accommodation solution. We do that by talking directly to the employee, find out about how they function on the job, what are their job tasks. We get information about their disabling condition, if it's permanent or is it just a progressive, will they encounter other type of challenges. 
we look at all of those pieces before we make a recommendation of the appropriate accommodation solution so they can be as productive as possible at the work site. So we do quite a bit of providing the technology, but we also make sure that we're providing the right technology by doing those individual needs assessments. Okay, and then following the needs assessment, is there any sort of follow-up um, that you, you check back in with the individual to make sure everything's going as planned? Of course. We always follow up with our customers and to check with them and how they're doing. We send them a little survey after about a month that we provide those accommodations to first and make sure that they got it and make sure that it was really meeting the requirements of that individual. We keep on top of, of the issues. We send them newsletters. We have them part of our listserv. They give us feedback. So they become part of our listserv bases, and we're constantly in touch with our customers. That's fantastic. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for the Dot Mill Docs Health Beat, news and information from the military health system. When we come back, we'll talk to Ms. Cohen a little bit more about some of the specific technologies and opportunities available to wounded service members and others with disabilities, as well as taking a look into the future of CAP. Dot Mill Docs Health Beat. The MHS observes Military Medical Technologies Month in November in an effort to educate service members and their families on current and future technological breakthroughs in medicine that will keep the MHS at the forefront of healthcare delivery. The military consistently adapts technologies to best serve wounded warriors. The MHS also has extensive rehabilitation and prosthesis technologies and capabilities available to service members and their families. Our goal is to ensure that all service members and their families are aware of the medical technology resources available. Visit health.mil slash medtech for more information. The Military Health System will host a web-based town hall on Tuesday, November 10th from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to answer your questions about novel H1N1 influenza, also known as swine flu. Subject matter experts from across the MHS are scheduled to participate in the web hall to provide accurate, up-to-date information about the H1N1 flu and vaccine. To, to, to participate in the web hall, visit health.mil flu. And finally, 3.7 million doses of the H1N1 vaccine have been ordered by the Defense Department and they continue to arrive from the manufacturer. More than enough will be available for all military personnel and their dependents. Immunization for both seasonal flu and H1N1 is mandatory for all military personnel and is highly recommended for beneficiaries. First priority for the H1N1 vaccine will go to deployed forces, then to ships, trainees, and healthcare workers. For more information, visit the DOD Pandemic Influenza Watchboard at dod.mil slash pandemic flu. And that's your .mil docs health beat. For the Military Health System, I'm Matt Beto. All right, welcome back to Dot Mill Docs. Today we are talking to Ms. Cohen, the Program Director at the Computer Electronic Accommodations Program, also known as CAP. Before the break, Ms. Cohen was describing what CAP was and told us a little bit about the technologies it offers. This half of Dot Mill Docs will focus a little more on example programs and technologies. Ms. Cohen, what emphasis does CAP put on getting wounded service members back into the work world? Well, it was um, very obvious to me once we went into the global war on terror that we were having many young men and women coming back with devastating injuries and that they probably didn't even know of this world of assistive technology. So the first thing we did was starting to go to our military treatment facilities, especially Walter Reed, and just introducing them to the world of assistive technology. And soon it was very obvious to me how valuable it was during to help them during 
during their recovery and rehabilitation. So often we'll hear service members say that they want to go back. And the other thing they usually say to me is that they want to stay in touch with their troops. But you can imagine what it would be like for a young man or woman to come back with missing hands or lost their vision to think that they can't do anything using their computer anymore. So the first thing we did was trying to introduce them to the different type of assistive technology that I've been providing for years to employees with disabilities. So we started to introduce that to them. And the more we introduced it, the more we saw the value of how we contribute to their recovery and rehabilitation. We said, well, let's make sure they have access to this technology. And we started to provide it to them while they were still at the MTF. After we did that, we found out that, the, you know, to have them hold on to this technology would take changing of a law. Well, we did that, too. <laughs> we made sure that we changed the law so all of our service members who get assistive technology from CAP as part of their recovery and rehabilitation while they're at a military treatment facility can retain that equipment even upon separation. And what I've seen is that it starts to get them thinking about employment, about their life after they leave the hospital, what they want to do next, how they can maybe go back to school, how they can go back to maybe even their original jobs, whether they stay in uniform or not. To me, the biggest contribution is they can see themselves as being employable. They saw themselves being able to stay in touch with their colleagues, being able to communicate, being able to take advantage of technology. And to me, that was really what I was hoping that we would be able to accomplish, and we have. Last year alone, we filled over 4,500 requests of assistive technology directly for our wounded service members. So it really has an impact not just on their work world, but also on their social and private lives as well. Very much so, because many of them will still be going through rehab for a while, and then they'll maybe separate and, and start to go through, go back to school using the VA benefits or whatever. But they've already learned how to use technology, so you right. know they're already starting to think differently because they can still take advantage of technology, can still see themselves using a computer. We've helped so many of our young men and women who've lost their vision who are now blind, and the first thing they thought about is, like, I can't do anything on a computer anymore, and yet we have so many that have actually stayed on active duty, some that have gone back to school, someone who are, some of them who are now back as civilian employees. So we've seen the full range. But the first thing we wanted to them to see is that they're still valuable, valuable contributors to America's workforce and our society. And here are some of the tools. Absolutely. Um, can you give us an example then of some, some types of technology that you would give to a, to a um, blind service member? Sure. Uh, for a lot of our individuals who have lost their vision, depending on how how much vision they have left, they may need software or hardware that does magnification of what's on their computer screen or magnification of hard copy. For some of our men and women who've lost their vision totally, they now can listen to their computer and everything that's on their computer screen they can hear by using some of the assistive technology we provide for them. As long as the information was designed according to regulations on how to design accessible websites and information, they can hear everything that's on their computer so they can still be very much engaged in what's happening in the, in the world of technology. Um, that's amazing. Some other injuries that people might be able to get assistance from with CAP 
um, like traumatic brain injury? Is there any type of specific sure, for technology? For some of our folks who have, you know, we've had our sure people who are now amputees who've lost their uh, upper extremities. So we'll have everything from different type of keyboards to the high end of voice recognition where they can just talk to their computer, be able to have a microphone, and everything they say, again, will appear on the computer screen, which is the high end of technology. For some of our young men and women who are coming back with traumatic brain injuries, so what they need to have could be something as simple as reminders of to take their medicine and we may provide them with a PDA or help them to program their outlook to remind them to do certain things, to do some of the other type of tools that help them remember how to do the steps. Sometimes they can't remember how to read as well or understand the words. So some of the technology that's used by blind individuals are the same technologies that are used by people with traumatic brain injury because they need to hear what's on the computer screen because they can't always understand the print the way they used to. It's more of a perceptional problem than a real vision problem. Some of our guys and gals coming back with TBIs are having them because they were exposed to an IED. So they may also have hearing loss. And sometimes they find it hard to focus on the one voice they need to listen to. So we provide assistive listening devices, which magnifies or amplifies the one sound they need to focus on versus all the noises that may be going on around them. So our job, again, is to walk through that process with that case manager with that wounded service member, see what kind of challenges they're having on day-to-day -day life, what kind of challenges they're having when it comes to remembering what to do and how to do it, what things they can do well, and what do they need assistance in. Whatever that may be, then we will try to match them with an appropriate piece of assistive technology. Not all things can be addressed that way, but I know we've had a tremendous amount of impact on those individuals who have been able to be impacted with assistive technology. And once you give this technology to people who are active duty, but once they retire, um, they are still able to use the technology? They're able to retain that technology because we were able to change that legislation. But as they become disabled veterans, they will be able to continue to get technology through the uh, uh, Department of Veterans Affairs. So they, it's not they'll be left alone, but they were able to get it sooner by having CAP being part of their process while they're still on the DOD dime. So to me, it's really a very easy handoff that once they choose to separate or retire from the military and have that technology, they'll be able to hold on to it, but they'll also be able to get more technology should their changes and their requirements um, change for them through the Veterans, uh, Veterans Affairs. Okay, and finally, this year I think marks CAP's 20th anniversary. Where do you see the program going in the next 20 years? Well, first, uh, we're, we have this wonderful technology center at the Pentagon. We always invite people to come over and see the technology because that's where you can really see the changes over the 20 years is how technology has changed. So much of the assistive technology that we called 20 years ago is now almost mainstream. Where I see CAP going in 20 years, you know, I didn't think we would be doing what we're doing for disabled veterans the way we are doing now. I think the best thing about CAP is that we are positioned to address whatever happens down the road. If we find that we need to step in and do something for a new population, a new customer base, we're there. We did not see this customer base 10 years ago, and yet it took us less than a few years to stand up a program to take care of our wounded service members. To me, the, what we're going to do next is whatever next is needed. 
And to me, that's what I'm so proud about, CAP, is that we've been able to accommodate people and provide, as we say in our tagline, real solutions for real needs. We're there to make sure that we're taking care of our customers, whoever our customers may be. They may be service members. They may be the aging workforce. They may be the young people coming out of college with disabling conditions. Whoever that population may be, we're ready to serve. Yeah, it sounds like you guys definitely have the resources and tools available to provide whatever resources um, are needed. Ms. Cohen, I want to thank you for stopping by and talking with us today at Dotnell Docs. Well, it's been my pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. I hope to talk to everyone soon again. That does it for us this week on .mil Docs. Once again, please visit health.mil slash medtech for more information about some of the exciting advances in medical technology within the DOD. Don't forget to visit health.mil slash flu for information about both seasonal flu and the H1N1 influenza. At health.mil slash flu, you can also sign up to receive a reminder about the H1N1 web hall that will be held on November 10th, 2009. Health.mil slash flu is also the place to go to participate in that web hall. Finally, visit health.mil slash awards to learn about the external awards committee, some outstanding people in the MHS who have already been honored with awards, and to nominate your colleagues for other external awards. Join us next week when Dotmil Docs returns in support of November's Medical Technology Month. We'll be talking with Colonel Ron Poropadich about mobile health and telemedicine, looking at how this quickly emerging application of medicine transfers medical information through phones for the purpose of delivering quality care to patients. Until next time, see you on health.mil. This program is a product of the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Military Health System. Dotmil Docs features the most relevant military health topics important to you and your family. If you have questions or topics you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, send us an email at dotmildocs at tma.osd.mil. That's D-O-T-M-I-L-D-O-C-S at tma.osd.mil. Visit health.mil for more episodes.